You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, October the 20th, up bright and early here in TW11. Massive response to yesterday's podcast, where it soon became clear that what would normally be just a, another prize money row, this time between the Racecourse Group ARC and various factions, the National Trainers Federation and Professional Jockeys Association of the Horsemen's Group, was not just a, an argument about prize money, but more a whole philosophical discussion on the governance structure and funding and future of the sport of horse racing in the UK. With that in mind, I've got two more interviews contributing to the debate from a trainer whom this impacts very considerably given his prominence on the all-weather circuit during the winter and a leading owner who paradoxically agrees with the National Trainers Federation. That's all to come. Also in this edition, I'll be talking about the Breeders' Cup Classic and whether Mishrif should be a participant in that race. And I'll be canvassing the thoughts of my NBC colleague and handicapper, Matt Bernier. I'll also be reflecting on the success of British Champions Day with the Chief Executive of British Champions Series, Rod Street. But first of all, a double boost for Irish racing as I welcome in RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, Jane Mangan. What are the reasons that Irish racing can feel positive today? Well, we're getting um, we're getting a few bob, uh, Nick. The government's budget came out last week, and I suppose after the year that Irish racing has had, we were relieved to find out that the government had allotted seventy point four million euros um, to our industry. Of course, that is down from the twenty twenty one budget, but of course, twenty twenty one was uh, particularly special, but up um from 67 million in 2020 and the chairman of the Europtus joint committee remember those words the Europtus joint committee uh, on agriculture urged that hri devote some of that 70 million uh in government funding into repairing the reputational damage done to the sport um by allegations made earlier in the year uh, into illegal drug use so um just on a side note from the budget the the joint chair, Jackie Cal, he's a Fianna Fáil TD over here. Um, he said that we can expect the Eroctus Committee's report into the alleged use of illegal drugs in racing uh, in the next couple of weeks. So in the next two to three weeks, we can finally uh, expect that report to be published, having, uh, of course, those hearings being held uh, earlier this summer. But um, 70.4 million coming our way, and I'm sure HRI will spend it wisely. Yeah, that's interesting. Given that stipulation you mentioned about integrity and where this is spent in terms of reputation management, I'm guessing that HRI are not simply going to hand this to the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board and say get on with it. I'd imagine they'll be keeping a fairly beady eye on how this is apportioned this time. Well, I think in general that this money, when it comes from a government, has to always be accounted for. It has to always be um spent carefully and i suppose but susan ead now heading up uh hri uh, after taking over from brian kavanagh susan ead was of course uh head of the finance department in hri before she took over from brian and um yeah every penny counts especially when you're a government subsidized um 
body and it's probably just under scrutiny now because it's, it's highlighted but to be honest Nick I would imagine well before now any pound spent by HRI was under scrutiny anyway. Dog agrees anyway. And Jane, it looks as though crowds are finally coming back in full. Is that right? Yes. So the, I suppose the, the 22nd of October was when we were finally going to lift all restrictions in Ireland and we were going to be free as birds once again. Now, the government haven't lifted all restrictions, but when it comes to sporting events, we are now allowed full capacity. So the focus now turns from how many we are permitting to enter to how many can we coax back through the turnstiles? How many people can we get through those gates? And having attended uh, Leopardstown last Saturday, watched Ascot from the big screen, watched the Killavullen live, there is definitely a need to get people back racing because it actually felt on Saturday like we had maximum uh, restrictions. They felt like there was very few people there. And I think we have for long enough uh, spoken about how many people are allowed so let's turn our attention to how we actually get people back. Are you worried about this? Do you think there needs to be a better and more concerted promotional effort? Look, I'm not worried about it in a way that I understand what has happened. It's unprecedented. And I feel that each individual racetrack now has to take responsibility. Like we're all uh, invested in this industry and we all promote the sport as best we can. But it's down to each individual racetrack to make this work and to make this happen. And I feel. From a promotion point of view, while racing was a closed shop, we did our best um, on television, on broadcasting, and particularly in Ireland, I suppose the results we had last season has been incredible. So we just need to just relight the fires and get the juices flowing and get people actually back in their cars, get them buying tickets and get them enjoying the experience live again. Because sometimes... (laughs) we can all get a little bit lazy and sit down and watch it at home. If you're sitting down watching at home, you also have the option of turning on the soccer or turning on the golf. Let's get people back racing. It's a little bit of a different experience, a little bit of a different effort. We've done it before and I feel like we'll definitely do it again. Did you listen to yesterday's podcast and did you listen to Lydia and I talking about the debate uh, surrounding what to do with ARC's prize money offer? (laughs) I did and I thought, Thanks, my lucky stars, that it was Lydia was on yesterday. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a treat for you because we've got a couple more, a couple more interviews to enjoy now um, of people who wanted to get involved in the debate. And intriguingly and paradoxically, we're going to start with a trainer who disagrees with the National Trainers Federation and their stance on this. And we're going to finish with an owner who disagrees with the Racehorse Owners Association and their stance on it. So in a moment, you'll be hearing from Dr. Jim Walker, who also has news of his star stay as subjectivist. But first of all, uh, I talked to leading all-weather trainer, Michael Appleby, for whom this will have more of an impact than most. And this is what he had to say. I mean, obviously, where the prize money has been in the last few years, I mean, any sort of increase in prize money has got to be a good thing, especially at that level. Um, I mean, it's obviously going to encourage more owners to get more keep horses in training if anything I mean like so that, that sort of level I mean the prize money has been absolutely ridiculous over the last few years I, I suppose that's the key point isn't it because you're someone who would have a, a much clearer idea perhaps of that correlation between prize money and horses in training and whether prize whether what's on offer 
actually affect how many horses there are in your yard? Can you? Can yeah, you? I mean, I mean I'm, and being at that the meet the act meeting yesterday, I mean, obviously Richard Hughes was there as well, and neither me or Richard Hughes knew nothing about these negotiations. So you're members of the, you're both members of the National Trainers Federation. We're both members of the NTF, and we knew nothing about it. And how did that make you feel? in a way and like I mean obviously they're not representing um, the sort of trainers I mean like obviously the people who are sort of, sort of got against the deal obviously the trainers that don't have the, the amount of runners on the all weather or in them class of races and, and how many runners yeah how many runners on the all weather would you have through that winter season for the winter season, I would probably, I would more than likely have sort of up to five hundred runners. I mean, having only heard about it yesterday, I mean, like I'd like to look into it more and see what the NTF and the PGA what their view of it is and why they've set the deal down. Yeah, I mean, I think their argument is that it's a it's a short term deal. It's not sustainable, and it's not for the long term benefit of the sport. I'm putting on nine races of seven runners apiece if if you're lucky you might get nine races of, of eight runners apiece is not a, a stimulating enough uh, product if it's all low-grade stuff to to keep to keep punters going yeah i don't know i, I don't know why they can say that because i mean like you class five six races nine times out of ten um maximum fields and a lot of time also get balloted out of them at the lower end i mean i have a lot of horses through the winter that get balloted out of races so you you think those races would fill? Well, I do. Yes, yeah. At that level, they would. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think at the moment, like a lot of sort of sort of smaller. I mean, like from sort of my point of view, some of the sort of small runners that have not got the best horses. Um, they say, well, what's what's the point of running when we win a race and it doesn't even cover its costs? Well, just looking at the other perspective here, Dr. Jim Walker, you'll know because. Uh, Jim was is the owner of of Subjectivist, more of whom in a moment, and many other horses who race in his his famous uh, lime green and blue colours for Mark Johnston and and William Jarvis. Um, Jim, from an owner's point of view, you'd think, well, more prize money, great. But you contacted me a little while ago to say that you pretty much were four square behind Rafe Beckett's stance on this. Just tell me why. Well, yeah, it seems strange, but uh, it's not just about a little bit extra prize money and that's really I think what we would be talking about with these kinds of races uh, which would barely pay the uh, the transport costs for the, the third and the fourth horses home um, it's much more actually just about the quality of racing and the, the, the kind of prize money that really needs to be thought of in British racing because we're just way 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 behind the rest of the world when it comes to thinking about these things that, that we wouldn't alienate punters if uh, we have fewer races with much, much better quality. Um, what we're really doing at the moment is pandering to race courses and to uh, bookies. Uh, I think that's just madness. So if you had a, a f- class four, five, six horse, now I know, I know you probably had horses running in those sort of races, but now I associate you with a better, better, better grade of animal. But for you, if you were sort of exclusively... Um, swimming in those waters would you not find it frustrating that there was the offer of 
a little more carrot during the course of the winter, only to be whipped away from you by a body that doesn't represent your interests? Well, yes and no. The, the, the problem is that uh, I think I would be thinking to myself, well, I really want these horses to, to make a wee bit of money if they, they finish in the first four um, that would make it worthwhile me travelling to the, the races. I, I actually just can't quite get the, 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 the approach which says I'm happy to run for anything. Uh, and, you know, maybe it benefits punters, but it certainly doesn't benefit me. Um, so uh, I'm kind of struggling to see what the, the, the Class 5 and Class 6 horse owners are thinking here. I mean, the truth of the matter is that there, there should be more prize money in these races, but there probably also should be fewer of them. Okay, so fewer races, more money, rather than more money generating uh, a greater income for the, the race course, which might then be passed down through prize money by their executive contributions. You're not subscribing to the the, the sort of perceived trickle-down economics of this of this model. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm sure most race courses act in very good faith, but uh, at the same time, uh, we're all left in the dark to a large extent about the, the, the real profitability of race courses and the real contribution of race courses to prize money. Um, I mean, they, they do know that uh, the spectacle that's put on is actually provided by uh, the, the owners of horses, um, but they seem very, very reluctant to reward those owners in any meaningful way. I mean, they only need to look at what kind of uh, money is available for, for placed horses in the races that they put on, and they must say to themselves, these are just mugs that turn up every week. I wouldn't do it. Not me, but uh, they, they wouldn't do it um, if they had the choice. It's just uh, uh, it's taking advantage. And of course, the reason that people do turn up every week uh, for that uh, very small pool of money is that there is just one hope that they might finish first. Jim, talking of finishing first, you finished first in one of the biggest races of the whole season, the Gold Cup at Ascot with Subjectivist. Um, how is he doing in recuperation? Yeah, no, he, he, we've we decided to, to give him every chance, Nick. Uh, much more my wife decided to give him every chance. She just said it's uh, far too early to pull stumps on him, and she was quite right. So he's, uh, he's been a very good patient. Uh, the injury's healing. It's a long-term process. Uh, but uh, he's, he's improved a bit, and he's now uh, turned out in, the, in uh, one of the covered enclosures so he can get a bit of exercise, continues on. Uh, the water walker and uh, we'll, we'll see what the next six months brings but we've got to give him every chance he's uh, well worth it um, have you you must have talked a fair bit to mark johnston about it what what's his instinct as to whether he could make a make a, a recovery to the track you know the the, the, the views are so mixed uh, nick the the, the 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 general view which is they never come back anywhere near as good because the way the injury heals tends not to be as uh, robust as the uh, natural tendon. But uh, then you have the, the opposite examples. Uh, and I, I was speaking to Ed Dunlop last week at the sales. Small Fairy had a, a very similar injury, came back and was better than ever. Um, so you, you, you really do have the spectrum. But uh, it's all a question of time and it's a question of then whether the horse can stand training and then stand racing. But... Uh, we will just give him every chance. He was too good to, to throw away.
I mean, does that mean, does you still need to give him a whole year off or what would you do, try and work him up towards this 2022's Gold Cup? I think um, the, the, the vets at Mark are really just looking at every six weeks to see what the, the, the next step should be. Um, so he was uh, rescanned at the twi- on the 27th of September. Uh, that means probably early November we'll look at him again. Um, and at that point, you know, we don't really need to be rushing anyway because uh, he, he wouldn't come back into training until the end of January at the very earliest. So he's got another three months uh, if the, the, the healing process keeps working and he progresses well. It would then be a case of uh, reintroducing training and see how he copes with that. Dr. Jim Walker there, the owner of Subjectivist, and prior to that, Michael Appleby, the champion all-weather trainer. Uh, Jane, I won't subject you to another discussion about uh, prize money and and what we do about restructuring racing in in the UK. I will, however, ask you for your thoughts that Dr. Jim Walker just told me Subjectivist is going to be given another crack and they're just going to monitor it six-week by six-week scan, but they want to build towards getting him back on a race course rather than drawing stumps. That is such a, a positive outlook and a, and a relief for, for fans. I feel um, it's been a two-way street with staying horses in that division this year. And uh, I suppose subject, or Stradivarius looks like he's not the force of old and it almost looks like penalty kicks for Trushan uh, heading into next year. So just remind us how good Subjectivist is. Go back and look at his form. It's incredible. Uh, and look, like, let's hope, obviously, when you have an, a tendon injury, you have an issue like that, every race is important. So I'd imagine he'd be raced sparingly and trained very delicately. But what, uh, I suppose, a refreshing outlook to have. And that has happened if, with the staying division. I feel like, is this a theme, a common theme? These horses are staying and training longer because... They're not uh, snapped up by stud farms with big lucrative offers like the sprinters are or like the milers are. So we see this a lot in sprinter or in staying divisions uh, because these horses uh, perhaps aren't as attractive for stud propositions. But from a racing perspective and a fan's perspective, it's good for the sport. It is very good for the sport. I wish Dr. Jim all the best. Incidentally, Trushan has worked his way up to number 12 in our thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings and we'll be hearing more about why from James Willoughby on Friday but the key news there is that Baid has now moved up to can you guess where he's gone Jane? Is he, is he top of the pops? Not quite he's two he's number two still St Mark's Basilica is at number one because Sealyway gave him a, a bit of a boost. The Prix de Jockey Club is looking pretty darn good now isn't it um, but I must say after Champions Weekend or Champions Day at Ascot I, I wasn't a believer in Baid. I wasn't a believer that that group one he won in France was uh, of much depth, but uh, after what I saw from Palace Pierre and himself, that was consider me converted. Just going back to Trushan for a second, his rider Holly Doyle also rode Glen Shield. He ran a fine race to be second, nearly did the double double from last year. 150 winners today, just quietly without anyone really noticing, and an ITV documentary this evening. All Rosie and Holly's garden um, for the second consecutive year, Jane. Yeah, look, she's an incredible girl, and nobody, everybody can wax lyrical and superlatives and numbers and everything, but I really felt for her missing. Um, Trushan in France and I was really pleased that she got back on him at Ascot and got her day in the sun but look she's rewriting records and 
doing it on a consistent basis. And I suppose, like I said, I've said this before, her manner off the track is as good as her ability on it. And I think uh, British racing and racing in general is very lucky to have her. Well, conscious that we haven't really had a chance to do a, a sort of proper debrief, really, at British Champions Day from an organiser's perspective. Rod Street, <laughs> Chief Executive of British Champions Series, Great British Racing with me now. Uh, Rod, sort of overarching feeling, given, given a sort of 72 hours for the dust to settle. We were delighted with the day, Nick. It was a, a fantastic day of racing and a great day of crowd participation. We had 25,000 people, just over that, attending Ascot, which was the biggest crowd at Ascot since 2019. And you could tell it what it was. that There was a tremendous atmosphere. The crowd were very engaged and enjoyed it. The racing, I think, spoke for itself, gave us some tremendous contests. Um, so we're thrilled to bits. And I think really importantly, and on your podcast this week, there have been a few discussions about the importance of prize money. Kipco, the sponsor in the last 10 years, have put tens of millions of pounds into promoting top class racing. They couldn't come last year. We were racing behind closed doors. So this 10th anniversary was very important to them as well. And we were really happy to deliver for a sponsor a really special day because that's what they're in it for. Um, and that, that was really satisfying for us to do. As you say, good crowd at Ascot. What do you think in, an, in a normal year, as we move into to next year and beyond, what do you think is the optimum crowd number for this day? How many people would you really like there to monetize it as best you can? Well, we know we're capable of around 30, 32,000. I think that was the stated crowd for Frankel's uh, final race in 2012, that starts to feel quite a squish and you need good weather to help you when you've got 32,000 people there. The difference between Ascot in the autumn and Ascot in the summer is they can open up all of those other areas with marquees and the grassed areas, which aren't viable um, in the autumn time. So I think around 30,000 is an optimum autumn crowd and would certainly be the biggest autumn flat crowd you would get anywhere if we go beyond that i think we'd have to have discussions with ascot about creating extra and specific covered facility to get more people in other key revenue generator of course rod is is betting turnover can you give us any numbers on that um i haven't had a chance to review everything yet but we do know that the World Pool, um, which we run through um, Hong Kong Jockey Club, was 14% up. Um, so they were very, very happy with the numbers. So there seemed to be good betting um, engagement in the race meeting. We haven't had a discussion with the levy yet about how um, the domestic market went. But if the World Pool is any barometer, it would appear to be that with uh, the competitive racing had and the fields we had, that that was a, a, a successful and engaging day for punters. It might just be worth touching on that. How important to say an event like yours financially is the world pool as the, as the years go by? Oh, it's very, I mean, we, we are, we are a one, uh, we are a one sort of shot operation really that, that Kipco British Champions Day in terms of our business model is, 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 is the only revenue generative moment of the, um, of the year for us. So um, in, in addition to our sponsorship income, which goes towards funding some, significant prize money we have to get our revenues through media rights revenue betting income admission income and hospitality so it's all incredibly important 
And Rod, I couldn't let you go without making mention of the fact that there was one extremely special visitor to Ascot um, who celebrates her Platinum Jubilee next year. Yes, that was very special. Her Majesty the Queen hasn't missed a single Champions Day bar last year because of COVID when it was behind closed doors. And unlike Royal Ascot, which is a semi-state occasion, she comes to Champions Day because she's a fan and she wants to be there, which is a tremendous compliment and a, a real privilege for us. And the greeting she received as she entered the winner's enclosure to present the, the QE2 trophy was remarkable. I, I feel that it may well have been the biggest cheer of all during the day and it shows the affection in which she's held. So that was, for us, the cherry on the cake that, that she was there and remained such uh, an authentic and popular figure within racing. Shall I mention a two-year-old race again or should we leave that for next time? Why don't you give me a few weeks off, Nick, and we can, <laughs> we can revisit that in the new year. Rod Street there, Chief Executive of British Champions Day. One horse who perhaps didn't quite cut the mustard on, on British Champions Day was the favourite for the big race itself. Uh, Mishriffy ran okay, Jane, but it looks as if he was wheel spinning on the ground. Now, interestingly, Ted Vout, the racing manager to his owner, Prince Faisal, has still left the door tantalisingly ajar for a run in the Breeders' Cup Classic uh, while stating that the turf is the more likely option. Now, you know my views on this. Do you have one? I think he has nothing to lose by going for the big one, the classic. Um, he's proven himself the most brilliantly versatile horse. Uh, globe trotting, coming back to the Judmont. Uh, I don't think we saw his true running at Ascot. I think everybody can appreciate that we didn't. The target was Judmont and they hit their target, but... I love European horses going for the classic when they have legitimate chances and he really is realistically does. Um, and I don't think they have anything to lose. He's already had a brilliant year. He's paid his way 20 fold. And uh, yeah, that's my view, Nick. What's yours? Well, I've been banging on about it all year and I've talked to John Gosden about it. I totally understand his point about the short straight at Del Mar. It's one of the shortest uh, in the country and it's certainly the shortest of any major racetrack and he thinks that the horse benefits from a slightly longer straight I get that but I think distance wise it's perfect for him and I think the way the race sets up it might be perfect for him but a man who might know more about this and could give us a, a better perspective on the on the Breeders' Cup Classic is my NBC colleague uh, Matt Bonier who joins me now um, Matt, what sort of Breeders' Cup Classic is this shaping up into? And we learnt today that Maxfield, Brendan Walsh's uh, star, is not going to run in the race. Did that come as much of a surprise? Yeah, he certainly feels like the kind of horse that would appreciate a slightly shorter distance than the mile and a quarter, never mind against the likes of Essential Quality and Nick's Go and Hot Rod Charlie and Medina Spirit in a race like the Classic. So I think a prudent move to move him to a race that I think suits him a little bit better than the Clark. Okay, so that's the Clark, which will be run a couple of weeks hence from the, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, just talk to me a little bit about the horses you believe are players for this year's race. Just narrow it down to the ones who you can realistically see winning. I would say probably those four that I just rattled off, Central Quality, Nixco, Hot Rod, Charlie, Medina Spirit, they seem like the most likely winners. The problem is, if you're someone who likes Nixco or Medina Spirit, they're both confirmed need-the-lead types, and this could very easily set up for a horse who comes from slightly off the pace. If those two hook up early on, I think Essential Quality is probably the most likely winner. 
there's a, a growing sentiment that a horse like Max Player, who's a little bit slow on paper right now, he may have an ideal running style for this year's Classic, and he may offer a, a much better price than some of the horses we've already mentioned. So he's one I would at least keep an eye on. Okay, tell me a little bit about whether that's possible at Del Mar, do you think? Can a horse come from way off the pace there and win a, win a race over 10 furlongs? You're much better suited being forward than trying to rally from well off of it. And again, if you like one of these off-the-pace types, I think you're really putting a lot of stock into the possibility of a wicked speed duel that would develop from Nick's go, from Medina Spirit. If Hot Rod Charlie wanted to get involved, Art Collector won't be far off the pace either. If you're someone who likes it, a horse that's coming from a slightly farther distance than maybe these pace setters, you're going to hope that that pace ends up being off the charts fast. Yeah, see, this is this all takes me back to essential quality. It's boring, but hasn't he got the lot? He doesn't have to sit way off the pace. He can just have a perfect stalk and pounce trip, can't he, off brutal fractions? He really is kind of the, the perfect storm as far as a racehorse is concerned. He really does nothing brilliantly, but he has the versatility to adapt to whatever is thrown at him. And I think that's why when push comes to shove, he's going to be the betting favorite come post time because of what you just laid out. He can be close to, for whatever reason, the pace doesn't materialize or he can rally from four or five lengths off of it and be just as effective. It makes him a very, very logical contender in this race. But if John got John and Thady Gosden are listening to this, and Ted Vout and Prince Faisal, they'll be thinking, hang on, isn't that exactly what we've got? A really strong staying 10 furlong horse who's got some form on dirt and has tactical pace, doesn't have to be miles back. Mishriff would be a player, wouldn't he? Looking at it like that. I think he would fit beautifully in this race. And you and I have talked about this. I like him better at 10 furlongs. I like him better on dirt, frankly. Not that his turf form is anything to, to sneeze at, but I thought the race that he ran over in the Saudi Cup earlier this year was fantastic against two of our more talented horses, including Nick's Go. I think Mishriff would have that perfect sort of trip, very similar to what we just talked about with essential quality. I don't have any concerns about the distance. I think this fits him right between the eyes. The surface isn't an issue. The running style is not a problem. I don't know. I'm, I'm failing to see why you wouldn't go to a race at the Classic compared to a mile and a half in the turf. All right. Thanks to Matt, to Rod Street, to Mick Appleby, and to Jim Walker earlier in the program. Jane Mangan is still with me, and she has a tip for you for this afternoon. Well, we're going to Navin, and funnily enough, we're going to Navin for the November handicap slap bang in the middle of October. Jeff Kidder, do you remember that name? The, guy, the horse that... At 66 to 1, won the Boodles at Cheltenham. Well, I fancy him and Colin Keane to win the 515 from Navin today, the November handicap in October. I love it. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and thoroughbred racing commentary.